right. Hey, thank you for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. Uh, I'm your host, Doug Draper, and the show, as always, is powered by Cap Logistics. Um, and we're super excited to have uh, a couple of guests with us. Usually we have one, but this is an important topic, so we wanted to bring on uh, two individuals. And uh, the, the theme and topic of our show today is extending value in the downstream uh, logistics. So we're going to jump into that a little bit. What does it mean? How can we apply it and use it in our day-to-day -day, uh, logistics life? But before we jump into the topic, it's super important that we meet our guests and, and learn a little bit about themselves. So Patrick Long and Steve Roberts with Opportune are joining us today. And uh, the cool thing about Opportune is I love the tagline, guys. We bring energy to business. That uh, I, I saw that on your website. I'm like, that is that is sweet. So yeah. before we uh, before we jump in, I'll, I'll stop talking and and let you guys do a little introduction on Opportune, and then uh, sure, maybe sure. introductions on yourself. And we'll have Patrick do that first, and and then Steve. So yeah, tell us about uh, Opportune. Great. So thank you. Uh, thank you for having us here. Uh, Opportune is a company. Uh, a management consulting company devoted to the energy industry. And so we have a range of services that span the breadth, right, of the energy industry. And so on one side, we will work with companies for due diligence, mergers and acquisitions, valuation. We, has a, we have a reservoir engineering group. Um, we work with outsourcing uh, for the back office for upstream wells. And then uh, where Steve and I hang out is on the process and technology side. And so our focus is typically going into companies where there's a business issue and inevitably there's some kind of backbone system that needs to either be installed or upgraded or some other aspect like that. Um, we have offices that are in the major energy hubs, so Houston, uh, Dallas, Denver, Tulsa area, and about 300 individuals. That's great. Great. Steve, we'll flip it over to you. Tell us about yourself a little bit. We always like to know our guests, you know, kind of your backstory. And uh, so why don't you lead us off there? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm a director in, in Opportunities P&T practice, as, as Patrick mentioned a little bit. Um, career consultant. I've been in consulting for 20 plus years in the energy industry. Um you know, came out of school with an engineering degree and decided to head a different direction and go into consulting as opposed to the, the traditional engineering route and, and, and really haven't looked back. Um, and spent the majority of my career in energy uh, on the downstream side, really working with supply, supply chain and logistics um, from the, the field level, um, working out at uh, distribution terminals where, where trucks are coming and loading gasoline to take to gas stations, to working with trading shops and the, the logistics and operations that go uh, on with the trading operations. Great. Good deal. All right. We're going to flip the script over to you, Patrick. So give us uh, a little bit about yourself. Great. Yep. I've also been doing consulting for 20 some odd years. Um, Steve and I actually overlap quite a bit in our careers. Um, I didn't start out as an engineer, uh, came out and joined the energy industry um, with a history background. And so um, when we uh, are at clients, my clients have also been typically in the downstream and midstream spaces, uh, lots of assets, lots of logistics, uh, a lot of focus on the trading shops and really connecting them in. So we really get an appreciation for the supply chain issues and its overall impact, especially now, right, with everything that's been going on in the world. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, you, you nailed it there, right? With this, with uptime logistics and the supply chain and, and uh, focus of, of the show, there's been a lot of conversations about where's my stuff, right? The boats are delayed. There's not enough trucks. Uh, there's no warehouse space, or if there is, it, it's uber expensive. And so those are all things that we don't really have a direct impact on. They impact us, but a lot of companies are like, what do I do? I, I personally cannot go buy more vessels. I personally, yeah. in my company, cannot go and, and, uh, and acquire, uh, you know, or, or, or buy drivers or, or trucks. And so the cool thing about what you guys are doing is you're simply taking the analytics and the data and understanding how to make decisions. So I think that's really um, important because there's so much focus on where are the assets? We don't have assets. How do we change the assets? Right. And, and you're taking a different spin, which in this day and age can have, you know, quite, quite an impact. So before we, we, we jump in, there's some terms that, that uh, we're going to be using that I want to make sure our audience understood. And I'm going to say there's three of them. And you use the term upstream, midstream, and downstream. Correct. I know a lot of our conversation is going to be on downstream, but maybe to provide context, sure. if you guys could just explain a little bit of, you know, through examples, what are each one of those categories and kind of what does that mean? Yeah, uh, no problem. So in the energy industry, the world is roughly divided into three different groups. Upstream is all about finding the oil and any of the minerals underground and about getting it out of the ground. And so there's a tremendous amount of science involved with that um, and a tremendous amount of engineering involved. And so those are the rigs, those are the offshore rigs, those are the onshore pumps, right, and going on. Uh, the downstream is when it reaches a refinery. Um, the refinery is where crude is taken and then turned into jet fuel, gasoline, diesel, chemicals, anything else, right, that is needed to help provide usually fuel for some part of the industry, right? And so then the midstream is everything else in between. And so that typically, those are the companies that have all of the logistics, so pipeline, trucking, uh, shipping, rail, and are connecting point A to point B. And so generally in the energy industry, if you find a good resource, it's probably not in the right location to be of value to anybody. And so that's why all three pieces have to work well together. You've got to mine it, you've got to pull it out of the ground, right? And then you've got to carry it to, call it the factory, if you think of a manufacturing example, and I've got to take it and make it into something that's usable, like gasoline. And then, because we all don't go down to refinery to fill up our tanks, you then have to get that out to the distribution points. And so that's one of the beautiful things about this industry that makes it so complex. It is a huge supply chain. And up until the pandemic, it was kind of behind the scenes and out of sight. But now I think it's kind of first and foremost on everybody's minds. Yeah, for sure. I was talking to my wife, uh, I don't know, a month ago, I said, in, at, at cocktail parties, you know, you'd say doctor, lawyer, and we don't really understand what you do in supply chain. And now that's like, the lead conversation. Yeah. And so we're kind of the cool guys in the room now. So <laughs> that, that's, uh, that was a great uh, explanation. So I appreciate you understanding all that. You know, one thing that um, <clears throat> when we were talking in advance, you use a term called the intersection of downstream and logistics, right? We, we just defined kind of what the downstream means, but I know that um, that intersection of logistics and the facility and parts and things like that. So when you use that terminology, talk a little bit about it, sure. or maybe even some strategies, uh, you know, that your group puts together to 
help uh, position the companies. In yeah. So a supply chain is, um, especially in the energy industry, it's very complex. It's a long series of interconnected processes, which involve multiple modes of transportation, um, lots of different inventory points. And there's always taking one product at one size, storing it, using it, converting it to some other product and moving it on. And so the intersection of where logistics fits in quite nicely for this and where we're happy to talk about it is first from the supplier standpoint. So if I'm thinking of it as I am the refiner and that is my vantage point, I have supply that's coming in. So this is the raw materials coming in. So this is crude oil. This is um, fuel for running the refinery, right? It's comparable to you think about all of the issues going on. If I am building a car, I need the semiconductors, right? I need the aluminum, I need tires and the wire, like I need all of that, same kind of thing. So those are my suppliers and there's a tremendous amount of logistics that are involved. And this is the huge bulk logistics. So these are vessels, these are the very large tankers that are moving across the water. These are large pipelines, rail. So it's moving lots of uh, gallons, barrels into a production facility. Then. On the other side, well, once you're in the facility, depending on it, there is logistics to move it around. And so there are staging tanks and there are day tanks and there's lots of intricacies involved. And so inventory management and something that Steve can elaborate on with examples later is so critical right here. And that's a very important thing right in the supply chain world. So then once I make the product, I've got to get the product to a customer. And it goes through several different, a primary distribution and a secondary distribution. And so I get it to the primary distribution. And those are the tanks that might be by airports or just off the interstate that you kind of see. And then the secondary distribution, those are the jobbers. So those are the tank trucks that you see driving around that are filling up like the gas stations um, mm -hmm. and making sure that there's enough fuel for retail consumers like you and I. And so the industry is ripe and full of logistics mm -hmm. all over. And there's not one uniform way necessarily for doing it. It's a, it, there's a lot of optionality and that's what companies like ours talking about strategies is what companies that we work with like, and so they need that transparency and the visibility to understand what it is that's going on so that if there are additional options because of a pricing advantage or some other circumstance, they can take and take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had said, you know, compete based on your supply chain. So right. if I understand what you're saying, that's if if I'm interpreting what you just said is, hey, here's some nuances or levers I can turn here or buttons I can push there, so to speak, that will better position me to uh, in competition to say I can analyze my supply chain and, and make adjustments. Is that do I get that right or is that kind of what you're? Yeah, no, that's 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 great. Think of it as uh, the world happens and you can either react because something happened to you. And so you are unaware that a vessel showed up late, right? But there are a lot, these days, it is very rare that there is ever a cargo on the water on the railroad tracks or a truck or something where you don't know the exact position logistically, right? So competing with your supply chain is about understanding exactly where your inventory is and then understanding the network that you have. And if it's not your network, you can go contract, right? And you can go find third-party carriers for it, and you can take advantage. And so the competition is appreciating 
where your production facilities are, where you hold inventory, and where your customer base is, and then how to effectively get that to market. And so where we typically come in uh, are working with companies who realize that they need to update their systems so that it's more centralized and it's not just in individuals' heads, right? Because it's more of a dispersed workforce, right, at this, this point. There are younger individuals coming into the workforce, and so you're losing some of that um, expertise, right, learned along the way. Mm -hmm. And so... Competing with your supply chain is as much about understanding and appreciating it so then you can proactively, right, take advantage of opportunities. Mm -hmm. Have you, um, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, uh, um, Steve, let me ask you this one. Um, as far as mindset, right, I mean, Pete or, or Patrick, you just said, um, you know, it's a new generation coming into the workforce on all different industries. And it's kind of a paradigm shift, maybe too aggressive a word, but really understanding your value and competitive edge could be in managing the supply chain, where in years past, it was like, just get more trucks, just do this, lean on your supplier a little bit to get it done. It's not as simple as that. And that's a mind, uh, you know, a mindset shift. Steve, how have you seen that? Are, are companies engaging that? Or are they still pushing back and said, no, we're going to fix the problem the way we used to fix it? No, you're absolutely right. Uh Things are changing and, and companies are, are looking at, especially in the downstream space, looking at, um, you know, really where are they um, getting value from their supply chain and where can they extract value from the supply chain? Um, you know, and that mindset set shift is not the same at every company. Um, not every company has the same set of assets. Not every company has the same um, long-term and mid-term goals mm -hmm. for what they want to accomplish. Um, you know, in the downstream business, there are companies that, that own everything from the refinery all the way down to the gas station. And there are companies that own pieces and parts there in between. So maybe just a refinery or maybe refinery and primary distribution. Um, so they're going to have different goals that they want to set. All of those goals, though, are going to be based on the same information that, <clears throat> pardon me, that everybody is trying to get a hold of. Where is my product right now? And when can I get it to the next point uh, in time or next point along the supply chain? And, you know, I think one of the, the interesting and challenging things about downstream is, you know, as I was actually thinking about it coming into this, because you know, it's been my entire career, uh, I can't think of another supply chain that is uh, transported completely in a bulk liquid fashion from the beginning to the end consumer. You, you don't go buy gasoline and gallon jugs at the grocery store like you do milk. Now, milk is transported in large tankers, um, but eventually it's put in a package that you buy at a shelf. Gasoline is transported in bulk the entire way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just a different mindset on how you, um, the, the type of information that you need to track with it and the type of information you can get back from it. Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to track the individual molecule um, of gasoline. You've got to track everything at an aggregate level. Um, but all of that then comes back to what kind of data do you have yeah. that can support the end goals of what you're trying to do? Is your end goal to try and maximize the dollar uh, value of every gallon you've got at every point in time in the supply chain? So do you have a point of view that if I've got a point in the supply chain where I can make a sale today, I'm going to make a sale today? Because you you know uh, a sale today um, you know is is in hand and a sale tomorrow is never guaranteed. Mm. Or do I have a mindset that um, I've got retail customers that I want to make sure uh, you know 
my, my brand is tied to people driving up to my gas stations, not seeing bags over the pumps <laughs> so that, uh, that I'm on a gas line. So uh, my value is I'm going to make sure I've got supply all the way down to that secondary mm-hmm. and that, that last distribution point to the cut to the customer. Um, cause I don't want to run out cause I see that as my brand value mm-hmm. because I don't want to destroy that brand value. So again, um, the same type of, uh, of information that people want along the way, but they can have different goals that they're trying to get out of that information um, throughout the throughout the supply chain to, to drive value in their business. Yeah, yeah I think that you, you you just you nailed it when you put the bags over the tanks, right? I mean, that more people see that now, and that's not expected. Like in my era mm-hmm. growing up, I never saw a bag over a tank, you know. And now it's mm-hmm. so I get the fact that there is some, some perception. You'll drive around the the gas station, you're like, what am I doing here? And you and you head out, and that. You know, is the potential lost sale that you spoke of? Yeah, the other consumers. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, real quick on that. Consumers develop habits, right? So, and that's what the companies, these the the gasoline um, stations are counting on. That I'm going to go to the corner store because it's on the right hand side of the street and it's before the stoplight and it's never busy and I can get in and out quickly, right? And so, when there is a disruption. That's huge. It's not like, oh, I, you know, the store was closed and I'm going to come back again tomorrow. No, I may as a consumer now fundamentally change where I purchased that fuel. And so that is a lost sale, not just one time, but for an extended period of time, because they've got to earn that trust back. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm going out of convenience. I don't necessarily pick a price point because all the price points are generally the same right on every street corner. It just so happens that I picked my one based on other characteristics. Mm -hmm. And so that's why there's the brand loyalty is so critical and everybody is fighting for it in a very low margin space. Yeah. And that that consumer decision needs to happen within like 50 miles of their tank, right? Because most people are probably just going about their day and their daily life. And then a light flashes on their dashboard and a decision has to be made right then and there to some degree. So Steve, you mentioned, um, you know, understanding the data and, and one thing that you guys have done in extending value is using machine learning and AI with optimization. Never in my wildest thoughts, would I think that those two terms would be used to help analyze, uh, like you said, a bulk liquid type of commodity. So, when you use that term, um, what does that mean? When because most people hear, you know, machine learning and AI, it's like okay, robots and how does this work? But you know, it, it, it's a whole other level in doing data a- analytics. So talk about how that has emerged into a tool that you guys have been using uh, for your clients. Yeah, um, absolutely. You think uh, machine learning, you think AI, you think maybe uh, maybe think heavy manufacturing, think of car yeah. production. Um, but, but what it comes down to is, is data, um, what data you have and, and how are you going to use it to achieve the goals that you want. Um, I think one of, the, one of the things I've learned over my career um, in, you know, in, in downstream and working in supply chain space is that you know, the, the holy grail theoretically is, hey, I want to know what my inventory is uh, projected out into the future exactly all the time. Um, I think those of us that have worked in the industry for a while, know that that's not realistic, but um, with the data that's available today and the machine learning that can analyze trends over time and the AI that can you know, put a little bit of thought forward into it more than just a standard uh, forecasting model, um, you can get a little bit closer to that. But again, what we've helped clients do is figure out that 
if you set the goal of understanding, uh, I don't want to know exactly what my inventory is five days from now, um, you're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of money, and you're eventually going to be disappointed because that's just not reasonably possible. What you can do, though, is say, what are my targets five days out, 10 days out, 15 days out? What kind of range do I want to be within? And what are my ultimate goals that I'm trying to manage towards? And again, go back to the prior expert or prior um, example. You can set your goals being that, hey, I want to maximize the sale of every barrel I have over that period of time. And um, if I'm running a primary supply point, it's okay if that supply point is out for a day um, or maybe 36 hours because I know my stations beyond that have a, the tank capacity to fill that uh, to keep the consumers happy. Um, and so I may say, you know what, I want to project out what's my inventory going to be five days out, 10 days out, 15 days out, and then play with, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to adjust my pricing model to see, hey, if I try and extract um, a little bit more volume, at a little bit lower price and try and make those barrels sell now, what does that look like for my inventory projection? Um, and you can you can do that on a, on a basic forecast, but what you really need is you really need the advanced analytics to take all of the market factors into account. Yeah. And if you've got the data to support that, um, there are models out there that can help you do that. Uh, and again, you could flip it around and say, hey, um, my end goal the five day, 10 day, 15 day out is I never want to run even my primary supply point dry. I want to have barrels in stock just in case uh, I get a run on gasoline at this one station. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to be, uh, I, I rate the value of even having my primary supply point full of product or not full of product, but available for product um, all the time. Okay. Well, you do the same thing there. Hey, um, what if I, what's the effect I see I'm seeing a, re, uh, a run on gasoline. What's the effect of slightly raising prices a little bit? So you want to tamp down demand maybe a little bit to ensure that you have a supply there for your, your brand customers, your key customers. Um, and again, those are, are types of things that traditionally um, in the downstream industry, analysts have done on a spreadsheet over time and they've played with kind of complex formulas in Excel. Um, but you can take that out of Excel, um, get all of that data flowing into you know, whether it's a data lake or, or a big data system and put some machine learning on the front end to help clean the data and some AI on the back end to help you get to certain goals. Uh, again, as long as you, you come in with a mindset that um, understanding everything perfectly in the future is, is not a reasonable goal. Mm -hmm. You've got to set goals around, okay, what can I really expect to get out of this? What would I really reasonably be able to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, your, your point about, I mean, you almost have rolling inventory. You know, if you think about the traditional manufacturing model, you make something, you put it on a shelf, and you know how much inventory you have, but your inventory is constantly flowing, you know, no pun intended, in different states yeah. uh, throughout the process. So, you know, um, it's fluid. I guess there's another pun, right? So I totally get that, uh, you know, the, uh, the analytics is, is important. So I want to talk about about two things, and we'll still stay on this topic. One is the data can use to help minimize for benefit, and it can also help maximize for benefit. Minimize meaning just what we're talking about with uptime logistics. You want to keep things up and running, so you're trying to minimize issues that would stop things from running, right? So talk a little bit about some of the things that you can minimize 
with the analytics. And then we'll flip that and say, what are things that you can maximize for that? So kind of the both sides of the equation, talk about the benefits of min and max in related to the analytics. If that question it makes sense yeah. in my mind, I want to make sure I'm answering or asking it yeah. correctly. Let me, let me address part of the minimize okay. and give an example for uh, stock out. So there was a, uh, a company that um, uh, was realizing that their branded gasoline, they were always running out and they had no idea because it was not happening, you know, right before a weekend or right before kind of a summer trip. It was always around the same time. And it was kind of in the middle of the day. It was sort of an odd time, not like a pre-rush hour, post-rush hour kind of thing. And so the minimize was, I need to minimize the stock out because we can't have bags on pumps. That's a mm -hmm. bad thing. Uh, and we, it also is expensive to get an emergency load, just like getting the plumber at three in the morning to fix a broken pipe. It's always more expensive and companies want to avoid that. And so the analytics were about combining their price points at all of these different stations and then mapping it to look and see, well, what is around and what is going on? And so what they realized is before parents were picking up their children, they were topping off their tanks and it was middle of the week and it was a convenient thing and it was just a nice, easy thing to do. And so there was a habit there and they realized and they were detecting the signals, right, going on and through the analytics, they're like, oh, Okay, I get it now. These stations are in relative proximity to schools, and it's also then draining our distribution point. So now we can be ready and we can help to pre-stage right ahead of this. Um, an example on the minimize on the other side is carbon footprint. So there are a lot of companies now that are turning and thinking about sustainability and redefining their business models to be about sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, on the minimize aspect there, a big part of it is what is my carbon intensity? What is that value? And then how can I move product? And then how can I capture some offsets and what I can do with that? Um, Steve, you've worked with a number of clients, right, in that regard. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's very pertinent right now with the, the recent, um, uh, you know, rulings that are coming out from the SEC that uh, public companies are going to have to report on their overall carbon footprint, um, be it the kind of the scope one, scope two, scope three emissions. Um, and as you as companies are going to have to look across that entire supply chain and that includes downstream companies because you know as much as downstream companies not only produce the fuels that that kind of run the world um they're, they're also consumers of it themselves most of the gas that gets delivered to gas stations is is on a truck right uh, that's that's usually uh burning diesel fuel um but you you've got abilities along the way to um to take some of that um back out uh, through carbon reductions and through lower life cycle CI fuels, um, you know, California, West Coast of the United States has kind of led the way on that. Um, the Canada's going down the similar path. So there are some biofuel based uh, fuels there that you can look and say, okay, how in my overall supply chain, I know I'm going to have to use this fuel to get there, but how can I help my carbon footprint in those ways? And you can look at those lower carbon fuels that can help offset some of that overall carbon footprint that you know you're going to have um, have to incur along the way. 
on the on the maximize side, um, just kind of a quick example there is uh, at a at a recent client working with a uh, nationwide distributor, they were distributing fuel out from larger terminals out into districts so it could be picked up for retail consumption. And so the really cool analytical part was every day based on prices, based on inventory, based on a demand curve that was driven by AI the uh, algorithm would lay out over the next three to five days, here are the exact orders that need to be sent so that I can take advantage and find the best, best ways to capture the highest margin. And so taking into consideration specialty customers, having to have contractual obligations, right, all sorts of characteristics, it was all sort of tossed into the algorithm and then out would come the, this is what uh, the optimal orders are. And so it took the guesswork right out of it from dispatchers. That's, that's great. I appreciate, I'm a big fan of uh, examples. So I, you know, your, your examples are awesome. And I, I never would have thought with, uh, you know, having pumps out that that would be relevant before school gets out and it's gas stations near schools. That, that is, uh, that's amazing. Um, another thing that we spoke about um, earlier was the digitization. It's a tough word for me to say, but the digitization of the supply chain. So I thought that was an interesting term, and maybe you could, you know, dive a little deeper and explain what that is. And I know it's related to terminals and logistics that we spoke about, but that's a great term. And uh, why don't you expand upon it? Yeah, um, you know, I think as uh especially in a, in a process industry like, uh, like the downstream industries, like the energy industry is overall, um, there traditionally has been a lot of data generated by every point in the supply chain. But typically and historically, that data has been very contained within an individual area. So within a refinery, within the gates of the refinery, tank levels and those type of things, the, the processing uh, group has access to that data, but that data didn't get out further. Um, uh, similarly, to think about pipelines. You know, the operators of the pipelines themselves have you know access to flow rates and pressures um, and temperatures and how much is flowing at any given time at any given point. But again, typically that's been contained with those within those operating areas as the you know as the network availability and the ability to securely transmit that data across mm-hmm. networks um, has has risen. Then you've you've been able to bring some of that data out of the out of the uh, the process areas and bring it into the the business arenas, and then the business can take a look at it and say, okay, what? How can I use this information, this data that I've got? Um, a lot of times, it's coming in kind of streaming all the time. How can I use this data to better optimize my supply chain from the refinery all the way to the gas station? Um, and if you think about it, you know, the refinery is going to have a lot of automation, kind of your primary distribution to your to your terminals, a fair bit of automation there as well. Uh, again, generating data all the time. Um, and then kind of that last mile delivery from a truck to a gas station. Um, these days, more often than not, uh, the gas station will have a um, have a tank level monitor in the underground tanks where the gasoline stored. Uh, monitoring the level of that tank all the time. That's actually tied into the point of sale system that the cash register or the cashier is using mm. to you know check out your your Dr Pepper and Cheetos as you as you go inside and grab a snack. Um, so as it's transmitting those those point of sale records, it's also transmitting the current real time inventory in those tanks. 
So all of that data, you can now piece it together. Now, just because you have the data doesn't mean you have the entire picture. You've still got to interpret that data, make sure you understand what that data is, and make sure you've got a process in place to weed out the bad data um, that's going to come in, um, bridge the gap when you're going to have um, data that drops out because just like uh, you know, when we, we started this uh, this podcast and my video dropped for a second, you're going to have drops in the data. You've got to have processes in place that can understand and interpret those drops um, and know that, hey, my inventory didn't just uh, magically go from 59,000 barrels mm-hmm. to zero. I lost a signal somewhere in there. Um, and that's, you know, getting back to my earlier point about machine learning, you can, you can build uh, models that will help interpret those things. But um, you take all of those pieces together, and now you've got a, a digital view of your supply chain from where the gasoline is being produced to where you're selling it to the consumer at the end of the day. And, you know, I, I think you know, one of the more popular terms lately is a digital twin. Um, you know, I think a lot of people certainly in downstream have been striving towards something like that, whether they called it a digital twin or not. But to be able to model that entire supply chain from beginning to, to end um, in a system so that you can track, manage, report, and ultimately act on all of those pieces of data. Yeah, that's great. You, you can have all the data in the world, but if you don't know how to analyze it and use it and know what is valuable and not valuable, what, right. what's the point? So it's almost what, while you were talking, Steve, I'm thinking that, you know, the fintech is a term and ed tech and health tech. I mean, it's almost like an industry of, of energy tech, right? I'm sure there's companies that are popping up left yeah. and right that help overlay onto what we're trying to do that uh, really do that interpretation. So that, that's one thing that popped in when you were talking. I'm like, yep, that's the same as fintech. There are a lot of solutions out there and we are in a world of the app, right? And there are a lot of solutions that are popping up. There are point solutions, or if you have something like an optimization tool that overlays overlays over top of all of it, it craves data. And so as Steve was talking about all of these vessels, the production facilities, inventory, tanks, gauges, they all produce data. It's all at different time frames. It's all in different units of measure. Um, some of it's complete, some of it's incomplete, right? And so where we play and where we see a lot of effort is taking all of these point solutions and it's the interfaces in between so that you can have one large picture with some assurances to know that it's clean data and it's going to provide you with a level of accuracy so that you can plan, right? And think about the future or plan a scenario, right? Instead of having to just guess. And when there are deficiencies in data, that's important too. So you can send someone out with a work order to address it right before it becomes too egregious. Yeah. So let, let me ask you this, and, and this just popped up when, I, when you were talking, right? So in the supply chain world, <clears throat> having service providers have the ability to push out data, right? Sometimes that part of the equation and the connectors of moving things from A to B is done by smaller companies, a mom and pop. You know, the example I'm thinking of would be drayage companies that are bringing containers off the ocean to... Um, the rail or another truck. Sometimes that's mom and pop with a handful of trucks and he doesn't have the ability to have the technology to feed into the, you know, the, the massive amount of data. Do, in, in your industry, do, do you see that? And if that happens, how do you, how do you bridge that? Like, hey, I get it. And 
I want to move these loads in the these trucks, but I can't afford the technology that gives you the visibility that is part of my little equation. Have you seen that in the industry? I've you smiled, that. so maybe you have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As of late, I would say the emphasis is heavily on the tech side, right? New solutions coming out, a quicker pace, a lot of AI. It's never about the technology. So a piece that you cannot discount and you can only build up based on expertise, right, is the accumulated knowledge about the processes. So to your point exactly, there are smaller trucking companies out there and they never will be able to interface so that it's an automatic feed, right, for invoicing or inventory or some other aspect. So you have to know those processes to be able to incorporate it. So you just have to be prepared. You can't you can't use technology to solve every problem. It will only help to heighten and quicken the pace of information, but you've got to mesh those mm -hmm. two together. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess what I'd add to that is, um, and I agree with Patrick, you can't solve every problem with technology, but um, what, I'll, what I'll add on top of that is technology has permeated every part of our everyday lives. We're, we're carrying a, you know, what would be considered supercomputer in our pocket all the time. Um, and, and you can look for creative solutions that create win-wins for both the small mom and pop side of things and, you know, the, the end consumers of those things. So if you can create easy apps that you can in that you can push out to your to those mom and pop things that make it something easy on their smartphone they can they can check things in um and 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 gear it towards making it a win for them as well uh build in some sort of hey you'll your service invoice will get paid five days sooner if you use this app you, you click in when you when you've loaded it you quick click in when it's unloaded so maybe i don't get the same um depth and granularity of data that i would get but I get, I'm getting a couple of key data points at maybe parts mm. of the process. And again, you look at it and you try and try and make it easy for people to use and make it a win-win on both sides, right? You know, it's something that Very at the important. end of the day, if you're going to get value out of that, then you can pass some of that value to your service providers to incent them to, to provide the data for you. The fact that you guys recognize that and were able to answer that question, you know, uh, immediately, it shows that you guys really have a, a solid perspective of of, uh, of the industry. So we always like to end the show, or at least I like to end the show with, you know, kind of future trends, right? Who, who would have thought five years ago that we were talking about machine learning and, and, and AI related to this industry, right? So where do you guys see things going, you know, five years out? That's always kind of a good, uh, a good gauge. So what does your industry look like? What technology is emerging five years from now? which be able to make uh, better decisions for your customers. Yeah, I want to, I'll start and then let Steve um, collect his thoughts a little bit and build off of it. Uh, and I want to build off of actually a point that he brought up. I, I think one of the big trends in this area is going to be around ESG. So it's about the sustainability. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding the environment, social governance, right? and that aspect of the supply chain. The energy industry doesn't move as fast as retail or fashion or any of these others that have totally embraced some of those concepts, but they are moving. And once that inertia starts, it will continue. So five years out, you're going to see new energy industries starting to emerge based around some of these more renewable products, renewable mm -hmm. processes. Um, and so then the trends and technologies are going to be all needed to support that transparency, right, to support that reporting and make it more attainable so people have a better idea about 
the fuel that they're getting for their car the source of that, right? Yeah, and, and I think I'll take a, a little different uh, point of view on that. Um, you know, Patrick mentioned, you know, energy industry is a little bit slow to move, and he's absolutely right um, for, for a lot of reasons. Um, but I'll take a different view and say, you know, I think the energy industry is moving in a direction I see five years, 10 years from now, uh, where traditionally they've had big monolithic mm -hmm. technology solutions that kind of try and do everything. And they are now joining kind of the new age of uh, best of breed solutions that are interconnected to give the overall uh, organization, especially on the supply chain side, the overall supply chain, um, the best uh, amount of data and the best uh, analytics and the best optimization that you can do, uh, that they can get. Um, so instead of having, you know, a traditional ERP that you're just trying to run your entire business in and then do your optimization in as well, um, the energy in industry is, is kind of finally starting to look at that direction and say, you know what, I don't have to do that. I can run maybe by financials on my, on my, my monolithic ERP system, but I can go get one or two or three best of breed solutions on the supply chain side, the, you know, APIs and the, the connectivity that's available today makes interconnecting those things and getting the data back and forth really, really easy and pretty consistent. Um, so, so I can go do those things and still have a, uh, have a better view of my supply chain, have a better overall tool mm -hmm. and still run my business. So if our listeners wanted to learn more about your company and the services you provide, you've clicked some, some light bulbs with our audience. Um, tell us more about how to get in touch with you um, and, and engage, engage with you sure. gentlemen a little bit more. Yeah, um, the easiest way is to go out to opportune.com, O-P-P-O-R-T-U-N-E.com, and click on any of the Contact Us links, right? You can find the place where Steve and I live under Process and Technology out there, doing some searches for it, um, and click on any of those links and get information to us, and we'd love to engage, right, and talk and discuss and continue to learn and develop the nuances and our knowledge around these different aspects. That's great. Yeah. Or you can, you can find us both on LinkedIn as well. Yep. Um, you know, good point. We're, we're, we're the only uh, kind of Steve Roberts and Patrick Long at opportune. So we're not yeah, that hard to find. For sure. All right. So um, the name, talk to us about the name. I, I, I Googled it and, and opportune it, it, it's unique. So tell us what that name means and maybe where it came from. So the name Opportune is one that was developed from our uh, managing partner, and it's as much as anything, it's about symbolizing the fact that uh, there is there is opportunity out there, right? And so we're always looking forward. We're always working. A big part of our mission is driving value to our clients, um, and so really embracing that about everything that we do. Well, um, I can't thank you gentlemen enough. We've been talking to Steve Roberts and, and Patrick Long with Opportune and the, the name and the explanation says it all. I think you guys have had some phenomenal uh, summaries of your business. And Patrick, I can't thank you enough for examples because I know our audience is like, okay, I kind of get that, but, but what does it mean? So both Steve and Patrick, your examples um, have been very informative. So thank both of you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you, Doug. All right. 
Good. And I'd like to thank our audience for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. Uh, of course, it's powered by Cap Logistics, and you can find more information about the show in the description below. So don't forget to like and subscribe uh, to Cap Logistics channel and visit caplogistics.com for all your customized transportation solutions. So until next time and the next edition of Uptime Logistics, thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks, everybody.